Welcome to episode 57 of the Reformed Brotherhood. I'm Jesse. And I'm Tony, and we are proud members of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. Comes falling down for you. There's nothing in this world I wouldn't do. Hey, brother. Hey, brother. So, Jesse, let's skip the banter, and let's get straight into it. What are you affirming this week? So this week, I'm affirming with the idea that every Christian should be prepared to give a defense of their faith, especially to people who come to their front door and want to talk about matters of faith. <laughs> so this week, we got this strange cryptic letter in the mail. It was like handwritten, at least in the address, the envelope and stuff. And we opened it up. We were like, it, didn't, it just had the address and a return address, but no actual person. And it turns out it was a nice little note from Jehovah's Witnesses who nice. said that they had stopped by and left a track. But I would have noticed that. And I love for to them to stop by because I want to talk with them. Yeah. Um, but it got me thinking. I was talking to a couple friends about this. And I am surprised at like how many people are just kind of like, yeah, I, I just say I'm a Christian and we just kind of close the door and go separate ways. Yeah. Or... I just kind of trust that God is going to bring me into the right conversation, like give me the right words to say without any kind of preparation. So I think I'm affirming that every Christian should get a couple of talking points, understand something about the people of faith, like Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, Muslims that come to their door regularly and be ready to have a little discussion. Just get on that. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great one. So, um, for our show, um, the episode on Christology is episode 19, which would be helpful for, um, Jehovah's Witness theology to understand the yes. doctrine of Christ. Um, we have episodes on the Trinity and on uh, God the Father, which would be helpful if you have Mormons come to your door. Um, be careful, though, because Mormons and Geek Squad agents dress very similarly, so <laughs> you have to be cautious. Uh, the, the giveaway is a little tack in the middle of their tie for the Geek Squad agents. So the Geek Squad that whoa i can't even say that the geek squad <laughs> isn't known by like elders it's not like i'm no. elder mike of the geek squad no it's funny we actually well i mean i don't know what it's like now they've kind of gone downhill since i left i used to work for them and we insisted on being called agent so i was always called agent arsenal and it was funny because there was like every single week i would have at least one uh, client who would be like that's not your real name i'd be like it is my real name it's, it's on my <laughs> name tag it's on my badge look at my badge so but yeah don't that- that is a pretty legit name. If they're there to fix your computer, you probably don't need to like talk to them. I mean, go ahead and talk to them about the gospel. That's that's a great idea. But you probably don't need to go into like apologetics mode if they're like, can you uh, can you maybe give me the password for your router? <laughs> Wait, did anybody ever say like, hey, my internet's not working, and also I got questions about Joseph Smith? Did anybody ever hit you up with that? I, we got lots of jokes about it. It's that pronounced? I've never seen like an outfit from the Geek Squad. Yeah, it's it's a white short sleeve. Um, dress shirt with black pants and a black clip on tie. Ooh, yeah, that is. Do you have a Jansport backpack? Cause that would pretty no, much complete. No. Some, well, they, I mean, some of us carried backpacks cause you have like toolkits and stuff, but I never did. I just had a briefcase that I carried with me. Sometime we should do a whole cast on our own interactions with Jehovah's witnesses and Mormons. That would yeah. be a really great show actually. Yeah. Well, this has been uh, the reformed um, brainstorming about future episodes cast. So <laughs> So we'll let's to get to you. Down. What are you affirming this week? I'm affirming reading some good fiction books. Oh, interesting. So I think um, myself and probably a lot of our audience spends a lot of our time reading like technical theology books or even more popular mm-hmm. theology books. And um, I am like a I'm like a sucker for like young adult fiction books. And what I mean by young adult fiction books is like Harry Potter. I've been reading um, the uh, Rick Reardon. Yeah, Rick Reardon is an author who wrote um, Percy Jackson, which was like a modern day Greek mythology book. And he's branched out to like Roman mythology or like the Roman variation of Greek mythology and Norse mythology and Egyptian mythology. So the third one, the third book of his Norse mythology um, series just came out and I've been reading it. So I've just enjoyed like a break from reading theology to like sit down and read something that I don't need to like ponder and think about and as relatively low impact and it's it's interesting because he's he's like really smart about how he does stuff so i remember in like the egyptian one the egyptian series centers around like um the gods and how how the gods and like egyptian magicians how that interacts 
and these these two kids are going through this hall of memories and there's like all these images on the wall of like egyptian history and one kid goes is that and the guy goes yeah it's moses he's the only person that's ever beat egyptian magicians <laughs> so like he pulls it in there or in um, that's good in the first there's another uh, roman mythology one and the main villains are the roman empire emperors kind of like resurrected and the bad guy in the first one that all they all they talk to him about for the whole beginning of the book is they call him the beast and then ends up being nero nice and it's like and they he actually like brings in that like well the christians call him the beast because he would like gardens with their bodies but I'm like, man, that is actually some good like research on Nero and how people yeah, for like sure. Christians think he's the beast from Revelation. So they're just really good books. I mean, I'm sure some people might have some quibbles about like Greek gods being real and there's kind of a pluralistic, um, syncretistic element to it. And he started branching into like questions about like um, gender, um, like transgenderism and homosexuality. But he's writing for the audience that he's selling books to. So he's a secular writer in a current modern context writing to teens. So you got to kind of know what you're expecting, but I've just loved having kind of like a, I don't want to say brainless or mindless, but like something that I don't have to like meditate on and think through and right. take notes on. It's been really good. Is this one of those series where there's like 63 books? Oh yeah. There's a ton of them, but usually the each, each series is kind of self-contained and they're usually like no more than five books and they're young adult books. So if you read them, you can read them pretty quickly. Yeah, I think one of these is on my to-read list because do you remember like I asked you a little while ago? I was like, yeah. hit me up with like the best kind of fiction because I mean, I like Lord of the Rings. Who doesn't? I read Harry Potter. That was entertaining. It's on right. I tried some sci-fi recently and yeah. I was just not feeling like straight up hardcore yeah. sci-fi. It can be hard. I just could not handle it. Yeah. The first Percy Jackson series. I mean, it's kind of it's kind of like let's do Harry Potter, but let's let's do Greek mythology Harry Potter instead of wizard Harry Potter. Um, but it gets it gets away from that formula after like probably like the second book. The first book is very much like I'm a normal kid, but my life is kind of weird and I don't know why. And then it's like, oh, I'm a Greek <laughs> demigod, and that explains all the weirdness. Just like Harry Potter's like I'm a normal kid, but my life is kind of weird, and it's like, oh, I'm a wizard, and that explains all the weirdness. Uh, um, I just had my second idea for a podcast and that is you do book reviews <laughs> and that sing songy kind of way that you yeah, just did exactly. there. Yeah. So Jesse, what are you denying this week? Oh, that's so good. All right. This week I'm denying against a podcast and that podcast is called this American life. Oh man. Now I recognize that this is going to draw some ire because my wife loves this podcast. I know it's, it's very well done. It's not for its production quality. I like to call this podcast to my wife, This American Sadness, because <laughs> I never feel great after listening to it. Yeah. I always just feel beat down. I mean, I know people are going to say their shows, some of them are kind of uplifting and they kind of have a happy ending. But by and large, it's just like a beat down in humanity, which, which I get is biblical, but I don't know. I just do not enjoy Like when I'm thinking to myself, I'm mean, a little extra time. I'd like to listen to something that encourages, edifies me. This American <laughs> Life is not on that list. So yeah. you're familiar with that podcast, right? I don't listen to it anymore for that reason. It was just really depressing. Yeah, it is depressing. But yeah. I think, I guess there's like a redeeming value of the depression. Like there's kind of a a relative sense of life is hard. And this kind of tells the drama of humanity and it's yeah. rich and deep. But I'm more just kind of like, like I just give me Percy Jackson, I guess. Like I just yeah, give me exactly. something. Yeah, so I, I just I, I have to deny against that much to my wife's chagrin. So how about yeah. you? What's what are you denying this week? So last week I denied misrepresenting people, and the example that I used was um, misrepresentation of the position of John Piper and Tom Schreiner and Mark Jones on the subject of justification, right? Um, and on the subject of the role of good works in uh, salvation. And this week, I am denying misrepresenting people, uh, specifically Mark Jones and John Piper, because it's still happening. <laughs> Back it's, at it. It's like, a, it's like getting worse. Um, and, and, you know, normally I'm a blogger as well as a podcaster. And normally these kinds of controversies are actually like good for business in a sense. And I don't mean that in just like sort of the like, I got to get more like views on my page sense. But Anytime that we can be talking about theology and like asking hard questions and being driven back to the scriptures, like that's a good thing. And right. as a blogger, a theological blogger, that's my goal, right? I want to I wanna be able to talk about a subject and drive people to the scriptures and teach 
obviously not formally, but like teach people through my blog. So I don't consider it a ministry, nothing like that, but teach through people through my blog. But this, this controversy is so frustrating because um, I've got two bloggers that I really respect, right? Rachel Green Miller from Daughter of the Reformation and Mark Jones from every everywhere that will let him publish. He writes on like 15 <laughs> different blog sites. Yeah, and, Mark Jones. Um, I love both of these people and they're both good Christian people. And, and in terms of like our, we have a shared common enemy in like the EFS, enemy is not the right word, but we have a shared common opponent in the EFS controversy. But now like guns are turning towards each other and it, maybe it's necessary, but I really just don't see what's so controversial about what Mark Jones has been saying. So Mark Jones um, defending John Piper is pointing to language about um, in the final analysis, right? When, when we get before God in the final judgment, our works are going to be evaluated and considered in part of God pr- pronouncing his final judgment on us. Like that seems to me like an uncontroversial biblical fact. Right. And the problem is that people like Rachel Green Miller and R. Scott Clark are kind of like cluing into some specific language that he's using, that he's using in sort of an older Puritan sense, not in sort of the modern sense. All that Mark Jones is saying and all that John Piper is saying is that, um, Part of the reason for our salvation, right? Romans 8, he predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son so that Jesus Christ might be the firstborn among many brothers. So in order for us to say that works don't play any sort of factor in that whole complex, we have to basically say that like, well, God might look at us and see that we're not conformed to the image of Jesus Christ and be like, meh, whatever. So the way that I like to look at it, and I don't, I'm not, I'm not naive enough to think that I'm going to have offer any sort of insight that's going to resolve the argument. But the way that I like to look at it is, we're very quick to look at the so-called golden chain in Romans eight, right? He, there's those he called, or he he foreknew, those he foreknew, he predestined, those he predestined, he called, those he called, he justified, and those he justified, he glorified. We look at that from beginning to end, and we go, yeah, of course, if the beginning happens, the end is going to happen, but. All that Mark Jones is saying is that we also have to look at it in reverse and say that if the final part of that chain is not in place, then we know necessarily that the previous links are also not in place. Right, exactly. That's all he's saying. So I get it. I think some of the language that he's used is not unclear in terms of how he's using it. It's unclear because it's not the way that we talk right now. He's using older technical Puritan language. Um, So I, I just read what he has to say. And this is what drives me nuts is that I've had conversations with him. And then I've had conversations with people who are continuing to misrepresent him. And I've said, look, you're saying that Mark Jones is saying X. And I talked to Mark Jones and Mark Jones is saying Y. And they're like, no, he's not. He's saying X. And I'm like, I literally am talking to him on Facebook as we speak. And he's telling me (laughs) that what you just said is not correct. So read the articles, but recognize that like even Mike Horton, who in in terms of this controversy I said last week is as on the far end of some of these discussions as Mark Jones, as you can get, even Mike Horton is saying um, things like a person who has not started in new obedience will never be seated at the final banquet. That's the same thing that Mark Jones is saying. So I, I wish that we could all like represent each other accurately and stop fighting about stuff and get back to pounding on the EFS people. Cause that's the real problem right now <laughs> is we is still have people who are saying that the son is somehow ontologically eternally subordinate to the father. And now right. we're, we're like pointing people who were fighting that before and are pointing their guns at each other instead of pointing their guns at the people who are literally espousing things that are contrary to Christianity from the beginning of Christianity. So can we just do this thing, like planet captain planet style? Do you remember that cartoon? Yeah, exactly. Like our powers combined. Wasn't mm-hmm. that one of the things? Yeah. Why? Well, I agree with you on that. Yeah. So it'd be like Mark Jones, John right. Piper, Mike Horton, our power right. combined, captain yeah. Calvinist. <laughs> people can't see that you're raising your hand every time you yeah. say a name, but it's fantastic. And it's happening. People. That's the next movie that Les Landfair needs to make. He needs to make an animated short film of captain Calvinist. And it needs to be like, Mark Jones and Mike Horton have these like power rings and, and Mike Horton's would be like law and gospel would be his. And Mark Jones would be like Puritan theology. And then to be captain Calvinism. 
Les, hit us up. You're welcome. Yeah. We'll take uh, a small part of the rights on that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that was a big old denial right there. It was, and I'm just I'm just frustrated because I want people to stop fighting with each other who are on the same side of it. Like they're not they're not even really saying anything different than each other, and they just like they're not talking to each other, and it's it's driving me nuts. Yeah, well, that is a frustrating thing, though, right? That you have these people that you in particular, you're communicating well. Yeah. You're essentially standing in the middle in the gap between these people. Right. And you basically can't get somebody to see like, no, that's just not it at all. Like if, if you want to misinterpret that on your right, own right for your own agenda, I guess that's right. one thing. But if you just want to disregard blatantly the fact that I'm saying that's just not at all what he meant. Right. That is frustrating. Yeah. Just for transparency's sake, it was not Rachel Green Miller that I was having a conversation with who was... <laughs> In my face, denying that Mark Jones said what he was literally saying. It was someone else. But I, I don't know if they've had a conversation or if people have brought that to her or not. But, you know, I know she's heard our podcast before. So hopefully she listens to this and reconsiders her article. But um, I just think it's it's frustrating and dumb. And I wish we could just move past it. Um, in the great post-production that we do on this podcast, let's just beep out all the names. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. It'll just sound like I'm cussing a lot. <laughs> Uh, so what I thought we could talk about tonight was some of that good old gospel stuff. We're going to talk about the gospel on a We're going to talk podcast? about the gospel, but oh, not, man. I hope, like in this kind of cliche or generic way. Yeah. But I've got something that I wanted to bring up that I've actually been reading a lot about this idea and I've been hearing it from people. Yeah. And I just want to drop it on the table and we can take a look at it together. So I'm just going to go right into it. So this is not something uh, I subscribe to. This is not my conviction. But this is something I've been hearing from different people, and it's come across in some reading that I've done online. And it's this idea. It's kind of questioning, has like the good news, the gospel, quote unquote, gone bad? And, and what the argument goes by is something like this. So if the gospel really is this good news of great joy, it's got to be a purely positive message. So that's going to have implications for how we think about the gospel. We discuss it, we share it, so on and so forth. So... The outworking of that is, it's, it's kind of looks like this. And here's like the meat of it. Any conversation about the gospel should only be accompanied by a positive emotional atmosphere. One that's filled with like joy and hope for everyone. And I just don't know if that's the gospel I'm familiar with. Um, it's kind of yeah. a weird thought that like anytime somebody gets fired up over something in a quote unquote gospel presentation that they're immediately misrepresenting it. Like they're creating inherent dissonance between the substance of the message and the spirit of its content. So have, have you heard this kind of weirdness about the gospel? I have. And I think um, some of it, I think just stems from like a misunderstanding of what the word gospel means. So yeah, we, we all think like, Oh, gospel, it means good news. So like, right. but the gospel in its original context, the word euangelion was the message that a soldier would bring back from the battlefront saying that they won a victory. Right. So the the herald would come back and would proclaim victory on the battlefield. Now, that's all good and well, and it's happy when your side wins a war, but that's also not exactly like a happy-go-lucky, rah-rah-rah, like everybody's, everybody's great about this, because the fact that your side won the war means that there's a lot of dead people on both sides. And it's exactly. great that your side is the one that has presumably less dead people, but they, there's still a sense of gravity and weight and almost, um, I don't want to say like dread, but all, there's like a sense of, of heaviness and so, like soberness that accompanies that kind of proclamation. Right. And so I think our gospel presentation has to also recognize that because, you know, we're not universalist. So, Yes, we love when people get saved, but we also have to acknowledge that there are lots of people who aren't going to be saved. And the fact that they're not going to be saved as Calvinists is actually part of part of the gospel. Right. That there are those who are going to be perishing. And the fact that that is what we've been saved for is part of the good news. So this like happy, clappy, everything's great kind of gospel presentation you see sometimes, I just think it misses the weight of it. It's a it, it's almost almost a third commandment violation that it sort of makes light of a very serious thing, I think. Yes, exactly. And so I thought we would flip it on its head a little bit. So let's start, even though that's, I'm with you and that's a really good definition. I thought it'd be fun slash interesting to talk about what the gospel is not is first. Not. Okay. Because like you said, most people like gospel is all over the place. It's in, it's a description for music. We use it basically to express something that's happy or something that is some kind of rigorous or solid truth. So here's right. what I would say first is 
Um, the gospel is not a narrow set of teachings about the death and resurrection of Christ, which if you just believe that, you get into heaven. Right. So I sometimes get this sense from Christians that that's the gospel. Jesus died. If you believe that, you repent and believe, you get into heaven. As if, like, as we've talked before, like, that's the best thing that could happen to you. That, not that you get right. Christ, but that you just get the ticket stamped. And then after that, then comes, like, the real theological training and the transformation where discipleship right. and maturity take place. Right. And I was thinking this week, in the context of understanding what the gospel is not, that that seems crazy to me because maybe, like, the most immature thing we can be thinking is that the world revolves entirely around us. We're right. to push back against God. So in right. some sense, I feel when God reaches out and regenerates us, he is imparting some kind of maturation so that we can even understand and put faith in him, reflect that we are not our own and that we can put aside the idols that we have through our own maturity set up as right. our act of worship, as our focal point. So to me, like the gospel is broad, like it's comprehensive. It's going to unifies like all these subjects in the Bible. And we're moving from lostness and condemnation through reconciliation and conversion, consummation and resurrection. So the gospel is just not this narrow set of like death and, and resurrection. I mean, is that too far? Would you agree with that? Yeah. I mean, on one level, it is. Like when we're talking about the actual message of the gospel, the message of the gospel is not like, oh, this is what Christ has done for me in terms of like my personal testimony. Right. The message of the gospel is that Christ came and was lived a perfect life, died on our behalf, was raised to new life. And we are raised to new life with him if we're in union with him. Like that's the gospel in terms of the message of the gospel. In terms of like what our life is, what the gospel is and how the gospel functions in our life, it is so much broader than justification, which is where I think a lot of people stop. And that's kind of the error that people like Tulian Javidian um, ran into, right? Is the gospel became a get out of hell free card. Right. It was no longer the robust, I get Christ and all of his benefits, it was, I'm no longer subject to punishment. And so his theology of free to fail, free to to not succeed at being a good husband, free to um, fail at doing good works, free to fail in my marriage, free to fail in my role as a pastor, all of that theology that he put forward of saying like, well, I'm free to fail because I'm not subject to punishment. Well, yeah, you're free to fail and you're not going to lose your salvation in terms of failing. Although with our Mark Jones discussion, we have to recognize that if you never succeed, then that's not a good sign either. Um, the gospel is so much more. I'm free to succeed. Right. Is the guy is part of the gospel. It's not the whole gospel, but the, the, we look at justification, like it's the gift and then sanctification and glorification. is kind of like something we do, something that we bring about. And in reality, all of the all of the benefits of salvation are gifts to us from the Father that come to us in Christ. So our sanctification is a gift from God that God does to us. Right? We don't we don't sanctify ourselves. God sanctifies us and our good works flow out of that sanctification. And that's part of the gospel. So right. it is. I agree that it's much broader than just a kind of a cosmic get out of hell free card. Yeah, I think the problem, and not to your point, like not even just free, but empowered, right? To succeed. Right. That there are some successes that we kept trying to reach for and we just always came up short it was like trying to cross a river and, and always drowning no matter how yeah. good a swimmer you were yeah so yeah i'm down with that it's just one of those things that for me being so narrow we, we kind of it's part of the gospel but when it gets presented as like this is all there is to it then you're right you get into this kind of weird space where even like luther said you should sin boldly but right. I believe what he meant by that was the the Christian who is coming under f through justification into sanctification increasingly becomes convicted of their sins, and so therefore understands that when they do end up sinning, that therefore is there is a greater grace which accompanies that sin. But that's right. still like a process of like continual conviction. In other words, you're not satisfied with the fact that you are sinning in that way. You move beyond it. It's not just like. I'm really bothered by the free to fail thing. Cause that seems like an oxymoron to me. It just seems yeah. like who wants to be free to fail? Yeah, exactly. That's not I, good news. No, that's not exactly. That's not good news. And that doesn't seem like the power of the gospel. When, if the gospel message is go ahead and jack up your life, all that you want, because yeah. God's just going to, to make it better because where, where do we find our place in the midst of those consequences of that failure, or that sin? And how do we diminish the fact that, you know, several mistakes in a row become a choice rather than just saying, I, I, you know, what was me? I cannot help but, but 
be in this way. So yeah, it, that, that's weird. So is there anything that comes to like your top of mind that you'd say like, listen, this is definitely not the gospel, although sometimes it gets lumped in with the gospel. Yeah. So let me, um, let me read a little bit of scripture just to sort of close out that last point. So Romans one, um, chapter, uh, sorry, chapter one, verse 16 and 17. That's the key. A lot of times we read just verse 16. So verse 16 says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So we read that verse and we're like, yeah, the gospel is the power of God for salvation. And we think that it's talking only about justification, that the gospel is the power of God to release us from our liability to death and punishment. But verse 17 says, for it is in the righteousness of God, uh, for in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So what we're seeing here is, yes, imputation of righteousness. But we're also seeing that the righteousness will live, the righteous will live by faith. So, right. And that word live is not just like, oh, I'm a living being. I have biological life. It's talking about we will live our lives by faith. And that faith, that life that we live is a righteous life. So the power of God for salvation in the gospel is not just a freedom from the liability of punishment. It's a freedom to walk in the righteousness of faith. And I think that's the key that a lot of reformed Christians miss because we stop, we stop short of the gospel when we fail to recognize the sanctification element of it as well. Yeah, that's well said because it's transformative and it's volitional. Yeah. We, we want to live in that way and God is empowering us to live in that way. But you think about if you bifurcate those two, how strange that would be to say like, you've been forgiven, you've been absolved, there's absolution for all the punishment that you've did, but you're still basically lost in your ability right. to live in any kind of way that is spiritually satisfying. Right. That would be a weird, that would almost be its own kind of punishment to be continually yeah. lost, but know that all the consequences of your sin as you continue to commit them would just be absolved. That is like a weird space to live in. That's That doesn't seem uh, to me like Christ saying, well, here's the abundant life. Yeah. Yeah, so to, to move on to the question you asked me, though, I think one of the things I see that gets called the gospel or gets kind of clumped in with the gospel is racial reconciliation. Now, oh, don't nice. hear me the wrong way. I'm all about racial reconciliation. And I think that the breaking down of the hostility wall between Jews and Gentiles, obviously that had a specific content that phrase did in the first century, but the principle that us the people who were a di- diverse people who were a separated people. So in America, probably the most prominent division is between blacks and whites. Um, it's true that in Christ we are one people. And so there's a racial reconciliation element that happens with the gospel but some, sometimes people sort of take that horizontal reconciliation, even if they're not talking about racial reconciliation, they take the horizontal reconciliation that comes, I think, as kind of like a, a consequence of the gospel, a consequence right, of what God does in the gospel in making us into the church. They take that and they say, well, that's the gospel. And again, like, I just can't, I can't go there because the gospel is not just that people can get along with each other now. Because if it was just that, I mean, people can get along with each other without the gospel. Like we can, we can't have lasting eternal peace, but we can have all sorts of temporal peace without the gospel. There are lots of nice people who get along just fine with their neighbors without the gospel. But the, the fact is that like, we have to be careful not to, not to clump the things that happen as a result of the gospel in with the gospel itself. Right. And for that matter, the gospel is not creative energy and passion devoted to any issue like bioethics, politics, right. evangel, even evangelism, or right. like the poor. That it's, and I agree with you because I should correct. Like I came in really strong. You were like, it's not about racial reconciliation. I was like, nice. That's, I wasn't <laughs> like, <laughs> I condone, of course, living peaceably yeah. and in harmony, of course, with all people that God has created because he's imbued us with that, um, his own identity. At the same time, that's not principally what the gospel is about. So right. red herrings are really, I think, disastrous and dangerous in this subject because mm-hmm. I've also heard in the same vein, people say, well, the the primary piece of the gospel is what Jesus said when he was challenged about the, the first law, love God right. with all your heart, soul, and mind, strength, love your neighbor as yourself. That's also not principally the gospel. Right. Yeah. So, and I think, um, you know, we... 
I made a joke earlier about Mike Horton being like the law and gospel powering from Captain Calvinist. But it's like, what's the greatest law? And he says, love God, love your neighbors. And they go, that's the gospel. No, he just said it's a law. Right, exactly. That's a classic. It's not just a Lutheran distinction. It's a Reformed distinction as well that we have to draw a distinction between the, the law and the gospel. Right. The law is what God gives us before we're Christians. The first use of the law is to reveal our sin to us. So it, it, it condemns us. The second use of the gospel is to convict us of our sin. And um, the second use of the gospel is to sort of structure society. Right. So there's the condemnatory law, which sort of points us to Christ. It reveals our need for Christ. There's the civil law, the civil use of the law, which sort of restrains evil in a sort of civic secular sense. And then there's the third use of the law, which is to show Christians how to live. But the law is not the gospel. And the right. second that we collapse the law into the gospel, we lose the gospel because all of a sudden the gospel now becomes about a list of things we have to do. So if if love your neighbor as yourself is the gospel, then I am in big trouble because I do not love my neighbor as myself. Right. I just don't. I, and none of us do. So if, if that's the gospel is a list of things to do that I can't possibly accomplish, I am in a lot of trouble. <laughs> right. Yeah. Think, think about again. It should pass like the basic sniff test of, is this really practically, actually, literally good news? Right. That's exactly. not good news. <laughs> yeah. Here's another law that you can't possibly obtain and what God creates is the standard for you to live by. That's not good news. Yeah. Yeah. And, no, and you, you're, you're absolutely right is that. We, you know, and like you can extend that to love your neighbor to things like the social gospel. People start to talk about, um, you know, we have to help the poor. That's the gospel. Christ, Christ came to build a community so that we could reach out to the poor. Well, yeah, I guess like Christ commands us to reach out to the poor and take care of orphans and widows, but that's not the gospel. That's a consequence of the gospel that widows and orphans are cared for. It's a law that, you know. For, as Christians, the third use of the law is it, it shows us how to live, it shows us how to be holy, um, but it doesn't give us power to be holy. It doesn't give us power to fulfill it, and it it we can't live up to it. I'm never going to love the Lord my God with my entire heart and soul and mind until God finally redeems me and you know restores me to original righteousness and integrity. I'm never going to love the Lord with all my heart. It just isn't going to happen this side of this side of glory. So if that's what the gospel is, then it's not gospel. I don't know what the Greek word for bad news would be, but it would be whatever that is. Bad sport, <laughs> I guess. I don't know. Make that, I'll make that word up. <laughs> that made for some great podcasting right there. <laughs> so let's go to like, you and I joked about this already, like before we started recording. Let's go to like the quintessential scripture that kind of succinctly establishes a really good definition for what the gospel is. So let me read just from the first couple, first four verses of 1 Corinthians 15. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, in accordance with the scriptures. So Tony, I ask you, what are some elements in there that like jump out to you? In other words, like here is the thing that we need to understand that got about the gospel to get it right, both in our living it out and our expressing it to somebody else. Yeah. So the first thing is that the gospel is a historical event. Boom, man. It, that's, I mean, that's, page. that's what we, we both love Mike Horton. So <laughs> we'll just put that out there that you should just go listen to white horse in and shut the show off. But the gospel is a historical event. It's something that happened outside of us that was done for us, done on our behalf. The gospel is not what God does inside of me. That's not the gospel. That is God. The gospel is that God is doing it, but the effect that he brings about is not the gospel. Does that make sense? Yeah, I totally agree with that. And that's a yeah. distinction that I think is important. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. so... A lot of times we think about like sharing the gospel. And I think this is where it comes back like kind of full circle to where we started is this idea that the gospel only has to be presented or only can be properly presented in a sort of positive, uplifting environment. Well, if I come into a room and I say, in essence, you have a major problem 
you have a you have a deadly fatal disease. Right. But guess what? I've got the cure and you can have it. That is not an uplifting moment. Right. I work in a hospital and I I I'm not obviously I'm not in the exam room with patients when these conversations happen, but I talk to patients afterwards to schedule their follow up appointments. And when the doctor goes in and says, your kidneys are failing, we need to put a new kidney in you. And they come to my desk to schedule the appointment. It's good news that we're going to work towards getting them a new kidney. And hopefully someday they're going to have a new kidney. And that's good news. But it's not a happy conversation to say you have a major problem and we need to work towards a fix. Right on. It, it's just not. And so this idea that like, if we take that principle and apply it to any other situation where there's a problem and a solution, it just doesn't, it doesn't make sense. If I went into a, a doctor's appointment and was like, guess what? You've got cancer, but we've got, we got re- chemotherapy. It's so great. Right. Like even chemotherapy is not great. It's better than the alternative. This is actually great, but there's still this level of you have to kind of kill them with the, with the law before you can raise them to new life with the gospel. Exactly. Exactly. And in your example, which is a good one, the only reason, let's say getting a call that says we have a donor, what do you guys call it? Donor transplant? Donor. Avail- availability. So yeah. we've got a donor for you. The only reason that is good news is because you've been made aware in an awful way that your reality is that your kidneys are failing, right? Right. I mean, yeah. Y- there must there must be this juxtaposition in the same way that you know, like Paul's talking about in Romans in terms of like God setting aside some for um, punishment and, and others for deliverance, in that that sweetens essentially how we understand His great mercy. I think right. that is you, you hit the nail on the head. This is part of the problem is nobody by their nature likes to be given bad news, and so when we say well the gospel is good news, then everybody kind of runs to well if you tell me anything that makes me feel self conscious or makes me feel bad about myself then that can't be the gospel because the yeah. gospel can only be upbeat, butterflies, unicorns, happy things, butterfingers. I don't know. Anything that, that is brings joy to people's lives, that can only be the gospel. But to me, this is a bit like having a movie with a happy ending, but not knowing why the ending is even happy at all. Right, right. I mean, there's a reason romantic comedies, I'm a sucker for a romantic comedy. I'll just throw that out oh, there right now. Oh, that's good to know. Um, but there's a reason why romantic comedies never... Uh, it's never boy meets girl, um, boy falls in love with girl, boy proposes to girl, girl says yes, and boy and girl live happily ever after. The end. <laughs> there, there's a reason why there's never con- why there's always some sort of conflict, usually extremely contrived, but there's always some sort of conflict. And if there wasn't conflict, we would just go, oh, okay, like whatever, and you right. know, great. And real life is like that. We have conflict, and I, I look back at my life and I look at the conflict as I was telling a funny story at lunch today with Ashley that I was, um, when I was in college, I was on a date with a girl and a friend of mine happened to come into the restaurant and he caught my eye and I waved at him. You know, I just kind of like nodded and waved at him and he came over and sat down at the table and he thought that I was signaling to him that the date wasn't going well and he should bail me out. (laughs) And so I looked at him like with laser beam eyes and, and it totally blew the date. And it's good news now because I love my wife and I, I'm glad that it ended up the way it did. Amen. But it's like at the time that was really bad news. He spoiled something that I thought I wanted and spoiled something that I thought was a good thing. And it wasn't until afterwards that I could look back at that conflict in my life to sort of see, okay, so God was working it out. And I think, the gospel works into our lives the same way. We we look back, and I think in increasing manner as we grow in the faith, we look back at our lives and we, we recognize how really sinful we were, how dark and really destructive our lives were before Christ. And that destructiveness is bad news. But the badness of that bad news makes the goodness of the gospel all the much more bright. Right on. And that's that's something that I cling to to say like, I don't look at my former life just to like get down on myself, but there are times that I reflect on the sinfulness of my former estate in order to kind of bask in the goodness of what Christ has done for me. Right. Yeah. I totally agree with that. I think that's the proper way to think about it. Generally speaking, I feel like good news is good news because most news in life is not that great. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, honestly. True. So when somebody's like, I have good news. You, you're, it's immediately being contrasted against what is normal or what is not that great. And so without that distinction, again, one, one could argue what is good if there is no bad. But I, I think it's okay 
for the gospel to have a hard edge. And so I would add to you, if I can piggyback off your thing, I would say not only is it historical, but it's also wrapped up in large theological consequences, which yeah. of course, like we would say, cause this is a theology podcast, but right. so whatever. So, but um, the gospel has got to be God centered because from the beginning, if sin is really an offense to God and he's the one that's most offended by our sin and he's the one that most be, it has to be appeased or should be appeased, then we've got a problem. So yeah. if God is really full of, of wrath against sin and sinners are going to stand under God's judgment then Christ's death is what propitiates that wrath so that we can have peace with God. So that is not great news to start with. But right. what I can't get past is for somebody to say, there's got to be just a comfortable, happy, joyful, emotional place in which you always present the gospel. You can't deviate from outside of that little fenced-in ring. I don't even understand how you can get to the good news because God's wrath is against sin. It's against right. the sin in us. And so our problem does become personal. And God's pronouncing the sentence of death against sin, which means we are all going to die. Yeah. So it, it seems to me like this is an emergency. And so the good news only can come after somebody has explained that. And per like Paul Washer style, who I believe is like right on on this, the question isn't, well, do you, do you realize that you're a sinner? Like even probably the most hardcore person at some point you convince them, say, yeah, I'm a sinner. The question really is, well, how do you feel about your sin? Right. I mean, that's the right question to ask. Now, are you a sinner? And so I think that the gospel does have to have, and appropriately so, a hard edge. And I think people can get fired up. I, I mean, this is, I guess I'd like to know from you, where is like the, the, long, the line that we draw between being obnoxious in gospel presentation and browbeating people and appropriately saying, you know, for like instance, many of the reformers did, like, this is the standard. There is law yeah. in grace. And the gospel is the thing that does... Uh, present the salvation through Christ, but it must come with an understanding of where you were before you can appreciate where Christ can take you. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, that's exactly where the conversation needs to go is that, you know, some people, um, sometimes people reject you as a person who's sharing the gospel because the gospel is offensive, right. but more often than not, people reject you because you're a jerk. And so, like, we shouldn't be jerks. And that the, the 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 passage that comes to mind is the apologetic mandate in First Peter three something. 15. Yeah, I got that. Nice. Um. Yeah, and so starting in, I'm going to start in fourteen. But even if you suffer, uh, this is First Peter three fourteen. Even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. So if you listen to kind of popular apologetics um, evangelism podcasts that talk about this passage, for them, the purpose of the gentleness and respect is sort of along the lines of like, well, they're going to see how nice you are and that's going to predispose them to the gospel. The problem with that is that that's not what the Bible says. Right. The Bible says the purpose of the good behavior, the, the purpose of the gentleness and respect is that so when they reject you, they have no excuse, right? When they reject you, they may be put to shame. And so we have when we present the gospel, we have to be cautious not to give someone a reason to reject the gospel apart from the fact that the gospel itself is offensive. Mm -hmm. So God chooses who will respond and how they will respond to the gospel. Some people will respond favorably because the Holy Spirit has given them a new heart and has and God has determined that they will be saved. Some people will reject the gospel because they are not elect and because God has hardened their heart and he's turned them over to their own unrighteous desires. But we are accountable as people sharing the gospel to not add to their reasons for rejecting it. Right. If they're going to reject the gospel, it should be because they reject the gospel, not because the person who preached it is a jerk 
or because he wouldn't listen to them when they had a question or because he made assumptions about them that weren't founded or any other number of things that people who are doing apologetics and evangelism do. So I don't have like the magic bullet answer for what that looks like, because I think it's probably a little bit different in every context. So in some instances, a guy who gets up on a soapbox at a college campus and starts talking about unrighteousness and condemnation, in some instances, that's probably not the wrong thing. Right. Exactly. Right? Exactly. But in some instances, it absolutely is the wrong thing. Right. Yep. So there's a there's a level of Christian wisdom that needs to happen when you're deciding about methods in sharing the gospel that I think a lot of Christians just don't. And that goes back to earlier what you were talking about with the Jehovah's Witnesses is like people think that God's going to just like give them the words and give them the give them the attitudes that they need in the moment. But that's not at all what the scripture says. Right. The scripture says the Holy Spirit will provide words for you, but there's a presupposition that you are already preparing yourself by exactly. studying the scriptures and, and things like that. So, I, I mean, I think that's kind of as far as I would go on that as saying, you know, you just have to be wise and don't, don't give people reasons to reject the gospel. Exactly. And to go kind of like, it's somewhat in the opposite direction. Being a jerk is not speaking about unrighteousness. I did that with two double right. negatives. Sorry. But it's, it's okay. In fact, that's where I kind of have this uh, conviction that we want to make sure that we are presenting the full gospel, which is the current state of affair of the soul. Right. So if that is what makes the gospel offensive, then you're fine, as long as you're not being a jerk about that point. But to just brush over that because it's not very well received, that is the problem. Because the gospel, I think it's proper con- in its proper context, is not just all joy. It, it's properly disclosed in this context of personal like self-humiliation. Right. So when the gospel is received, there's no pride, but there is a sense of your own worthlessness. And people respond to it by becoming aware of their own insufficiency and helplessness. So it's humility, it's gratitude, it's dependence on Christ, it's contrition. There's no proud Christians. Right. That, that's an oxymoron. That's a contradiction of terms. But this means then that if self-humiliation is part of what it means to understand the gospel rightly, there's no way we can say it's just all happiness when you share it to somebody right. because who loves to be humiliated by their own self <laughs> yeah yeah and I, I think to add to that i think the reason that sometimes people want to talk about it should always be positive and happy because we like easy things right for sure right? who doesn't and i think i think that you know there's the prosperity gospel proper right where where you follow jesus you're getting happy and healthy and wealthy but there's this subtle sort of you might call it like an emotional or a spiritual prosperity gospel. That is, you know, Jesus did all these great things for you and your life is going to be so awesome. You just right. going to love Jesus. You're going to be friends with everybody at your church. It's just going to be great. And you know what? That's not the way that it works. You're going to have fights with people at church. You're probably going to experience church politics that are going to frustrate the daylights out of you. You're going to have issues that come up that you can't resolve. And that aren't going to be resolved because we're all still sinners and we're all trying to get, you know, live together. Um, and so that that sort of happy, clappy, yippy, skippy gospel presentation is a lot easier than the real true gospel is because yeah. it's it's hard to go to somebody and to say to them, you are a sinner and you need someone to rescue you. Nobody right. loves to hear that about themselves. Nobody wants to hear that they are failures at at maintaining moral integrity. Even people who don't believe in absolute morals are still going to not want to be told that they they don't maintain moral integrity, even though they know it, even though they would acknowledge that they don't even live up to their own moral standard perfectly. They don't want to be told it. So it's not a happy, easy thing to do. Going to someone and saying, like, good news, Jesus loves you and you can be with him. That's not difficult to do. Right, exactly. It's not hard. And that's also not the gospel. Exactly. It's part of the gospel. It's only it's only gospel that Jesus wants to be with you if he's also done something to make that possible. Right. And in order for that to be true, there had to be something that he needed to, to do that to resolve. And that's your sin. I mean, was it Jonathan Edwards that said, the only thing you contribute to, to your yes. salvation is the sin that made it necessary? That might be one of those quotes that is attributed to him that he didn't actually to, say. I to know, everybody, but, yeah. Right. But but the the principle behind it is absolutely true. Right? We right. didn't bring anything to the table except the, the mess that needs to be cleaned up. And the prosperity gospel is a really good example of the, the conflation of all this nonsense because 
if you were to ask, what does it mean to be blessed? And that's obviously a large part of what the prosperity gospel preaches, the blessing that comes from some kind of road obedience that brings you all the physical things you ever wanted, all the idols that your heart desires. But if you ask, what does it mean to be blessed? Was Jesus blessed? I think we'd certainly say he was among the the most blessed that ever walked this earth. And, And look what happened. I mean, for him to be, he was in the center of God's will. He's the most blessed as God's son. And what that meant was for him to go and to die an agonizing death. Right. So we've just got this all backwards. This is why it sounds like, I think this sounds like a cliche topic, but it's really not. And for me, like one of the ones that best embodies, I really admire the gospel presentation is uh, Martin Luther, because I appreciate that he drew such a strong balance. I mean, he was a, a product of his time, but nonetheless... You know, even uh, there's a story like of him in the, I guess, like late 1530s or whatever. And there were lots of Lutheran pastors that were just started to preach just grace as simply part of that's this the gospel was. And I love yeah. that he just came in strong opposition to that. And the way he described it was what you said before earlier. And that was it ultimately downgraded the value of grace. So what's interesting right. is, and almost paradoxically, just saying what you said about like, well, here's the gospel. Jesus loves you and he has a plan for your life and he wants you to be reunited with him. Um, what's funny is we think we're elevating that and Luther's saying you're doing the exact opposite. Actually. Exactly. You're cheapening it. The good news is only good news because there's a bunch of bad news that precedes it. And unless right. we lay hold of that, internalize it, metabolize it, bring it into the essence of our being by the power of the Holy Spirit, then the gospel is actually a waste of time and a waste of words if all you define it is as the rainbows and butterflies that comes after that. Yeah. I can't think of better uh, a better closing for our episode than that point is that the gospel of Jesus Christ is good news to those who are perishing. Yeah, amen. So that, to those who are perishing, is as central to faithfully proclaiming the gospel as it's good news that you're not perishing. And so we have to we have to keep that in the forefront of our mind. Absolutely. This was a great, great topic, and I think it's something that we really just, we, we miss the boat on so often as Reformed Christians because— we're so focused on the theological categories at times that we miss um, we miss just the reality of how do you talk about this in public? How do you actually do this on the street or in your office or in your home with your children? Like we just miss that. Um, so I, I really appreciate this this topic, and I'm glad that we were able to cover it. Yeah, I agree. I think it's something that we need to press ourselves into a little bit more deeply because I think sometimes we get the sense that we graduate from this idea. Yeah. You know, like the reform, real reform people, reform people that are wrestling with weighty and deep theological topics, they get the gospel. So they've moved on. But right. what is that conversation like when you're sitting across from somebody at work in the lunchroom and you know that you don't want to be a jerk about it, but yeah. you also know that you're thoroughly convicted to give the whole account of things. Yeah. So how do you do that with sensibility and discernment and wisdom? I don't know. Like you said, it's, it's a case by case basis, but I do know this. If we water any part of that down, what we do is a great disservice to the name of Jesus Christ and to his death. And yeah. so we best let the message be its own offense, not letting ourselves contribute to that, but also not empowering it in such a way where we can decode it so that it's easier to go down. That's no yep. better than being a jerk. Yeah, absolutely. In some ways, it's actually worse. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And, and I would yeah. say like lastly, because you uh, jogged my memory with this, what you said, when you said, you know, it's, it's really for the perishing. I was thinking back again to your example in the medical field. If something comes up to me and is like, I, I feel totally well, I don't know if there's anything wrong with me, and they say, I have an antidote, I have the cure for what you have, I'm going to be like, okay, that's yeah, thanks. great. I, I have no reason to accept that or to give intellectual assent to that or to appreciate that as yeah. anything of value because I just don't know that anything is wrong with me. Now, it's possible that you could present the gospel in that kind of somewhat backwards way and talk about the love of Christ and somebody could come to realize through the power of the Holy Spirit, wow, I didn't realize that I was messed up and that Christ needed to do that for me. Right. But I think oftentimes that's putting the cart before the horse. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that's not the example we get from Paul. It's not the example we get from the reformers. Um, yeah. I mean, the, the one thing we didn't really say is that the gospel is also super apostolic. Like if you go back to that right. passage, you see the pronouns, the personal pronouns of the preaching. It's coming through preaching and it has to come or it should come in that right order. That's the way that God has ordained it logically for us to appreciate and come to understand. So it, it is really the hope of those who are perishing. And the sooner we come to realize that that's exactly the state in which we find ourselves, the sooner that actually becomes the good news it was intended to be. Yeah. 
So Jesse, are you ready for the killer of all transitions? I'm ready, Tony. I love when you transition. It's like so smooth. So if I was looking for maybe five good books to read about the gospel <laughs> and what the gospel is and uh, the the only things about the gospel, what books might I look at? I'm so glad that you asked about that because Zondervan just so happened to publish this five series of books called The Five Solas, which seems yes. to fit perfectly as an answer to your question. It's crazy. It's almost like I built the question in order to lead into recommending yeah, books. Yeah, it did seem a little leading, I'll be honest, when you yeah. asked it. And here's the even better thing. There's a possibility that people listening within the range of our voices could get one of those books absolutely for free. For free. We're talking about some grace-filled books. How can people yes. do that? So if you go to reformbrotherhood.com slash contest, contest, there is a uh, series of links. The title of the books on the page are the links to enter the contest. So you can enter each contest if you want. We can only ship to the United States and only one entry per person, please. And um, if you want to, you can enter for all five. But if you happen to win for more than one, I am going to uh, pick one for you. So if there's a book you want that you specifically want that one, only enter for that one. Um, but it's one of those plugins where you, you know, tweet this on Facebook and get one entry, visit this website, get another entry. Um, so we all know they're annoying, but if you want free books, we're going to make you work for it. Yeah. And we're not opposed to people entering from outside the contiguous 50 states. The deal is if you win, you just need to pay for a plane ticket for Tony and I to fly out to deliver to you yeah. in person. Yeah. Um, that's all facetious though. If you, <laughs> if you live outside the United States, we're sorry, but you're out of luck. We love you, but we're not going to pay to ship the book somewhere else. No, but I mean, if people, no, people would pay us the plane tickets and we would take the books as carry-ons to them <laughs> and visit and hang out. I think that probably is not going to work. I mean, it depends on where you live. If you're if you're super rich and you want to do that, yes, then let me know ahead of time and I'll make sure you win that. You win that contest. <laughs> we just compromise this entire yes. contest. Yes. So uh, it's a totally fair contest. Trust us. It's, <laughs> in, in reality, I actually can't see anything about the people who are entering. The only name and email address that it's going to spit out for me is the person who actually wins. So right. I won't know anything about the other contestants. Um, but if I find out, if you send me your shipping address and it's in the UK or in Zimbabwe, I'm going to tell you sorry and I'm going to draw another name because that's a lot of money to ship books over there. That's true. So to yeah. reiterate, all you need to do is go to reformbrotherhood.com backslash contest, click on something, then you just send us your previous year's modified adjusted gross income from your tax returns <laughs> and we'll make a decision about who wins. <laughs> all right, this has gone on long enough. <laughs> Jesse, how else might someone get a hold of us to send us complaints about how ridiculous we're making this contest? Yeah, so the easiest way is to hit us up at email, reformbrotherhood at gmail.com. You can, of course, tweet us at reformedbrohood. And our voicemail box, still pretty lonely. Yeah. Yeah, still pretty lonely. And that number sad. to call us is 607-444-2767. Bros. Yeah, bros. So... Please leave us a message. Yeah, I'd actually be curious. I would love to hear as we talk about stuff from time to time, people's like experiences with something that we're talking about. Like, I don't know if you have a story about sharing the gospel or something you learned through that process or call us and uh, leave a voicemail, leave an amazing story. Yeah, we didn't get any uh, bumper sticker eschatologies on Twitter, but I did get one sent to me on Facebook. Yes, I and got one And the bumper one sticker in the said, in case of rapture, this amillennialist will be rethinking their eschatological position. And it was so brilliant and meta that it was amazing. That, so thank you for sending that? that to us. I think it was Devin Heckler. Devin Heckler. Yeah, Devin. Google uh, Voice thinks his name is 7A Clippership. <laughs> um, but yeah, Devin, Devin, thanks for sending that to us. It was, I laughed. I literally laughed out loud. And then I had to explain my to my office mate. Uh, what eschatology was, what amillennialism is, what rapture is. It was, I was, yeah, it was a great conversation. That That's great. So um, let me read, can I read some ones that Chuck Murphy sent us via email? Oh, did quick? we get more? Oh yeah. Let's he, do he it. He sent like uh, a couple over. Let me just read these like kind of a rapid fire. So here's what he says, because these are also pretty clever. Uh, he said, uh, Amil, but officer, I wasn't literally doing a hundred miles per hour. <laughs> <laughs> Post mill, uh, resistance is futile. Another post, you will be assimilated. 
Amil or post in case of rapture, driver will be disappointed. <laughs> and then Amil, my student is already and not yet on the honor roll. That's awesome. So, yeah, well done. Good stuff. Chuck Murphy, a man of uh, brilliant insights and yes. bumper sticker creation. Yes. Also, just an awesome dude. Yeah, that's for sure. So, yeah, leave us some more voicemails. Um, hit us up. We'd love to extend the conversation beyond just our two voices. Yeah. So, in closing, get out there, share the real gospel, which is uh, good news for those who are perishing. And until next time, honor everyone. Love the brotherhood.